Welcome to No Challenges Running. I'm Ben Rothenberg, and I am thrilled beyond any reasonable belief to be joined once more for the first time in a long time on a traditional NCR episode by my traditional, if you want to call her that, co-host, Courtney Nguyen. <laughs> Courtney, welcome back home to NCR. I have missed you dearly on, on these airwaves. How you doing? I'm doing well. An untraditional hello to you, Ben. It's weird because I don't feel like I haven't been on the pod in a long time, but clearly everyone <laughs> is like stunned that I'm even on the pod anymore. So somehow <laughs> the, the my reality as usual, my reality and everyone else's reality just do not converge. <laughs> I will say I would I did not realize how long you hadn't been on the pod until we got approached uh, by Jessica Luther of Burn It All Down. Yep. Who wanted to and I think actually this week is that there's an episode of NCR on the Burn It All Down feed, uh, the Sandra Zanesque episode on their feed. And they're taking the month of August off from recording, which good for them. Self-care. Love to see it from anybody. And and she asked that episode and I realized it was because obviously they're like a super female journalist driven podcast. And they that was the last episode you were on. And I was like, and I was like, really? That it didn't it didn't we still talk, obviously, constantly. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that I think you and I are constantly still like not speaking, speaking, but constantly texting and on phones with each other. So yeah, yeah I, it just, I, I don't know. I feel so bad now all of a sudden that I've left you in a complete lurch, but well, so it goes. Two, a couple things on that. You did have, you were on the Codenames videos we did with, for Patreon with both yes. the Tennis Tuesday with Nick McCarville and Blair Henley, and then the Team Jabalale version with, with Reem and Anshabur. And then also I've had a great, you know, a lot of people have been stepping up in your absence. Reem especially has been yes. very game to be doing shows. <laughs> Reem's been on a lot lately. You got, I think you're definitely behind Reem in 2020 appearances on the show. I'm pretty sure of that. that. Sounds about right. And then, uh, yeah. And then Tuvani has been on the show a bunch. Luis has been on a couple times now. So a lot of people my, have, have helped my keep NCR going. I mean, those are pretty good Courtney surrogates between Reem and, and Tumani. That's, yeah. that's pretty good work right there in terms of filling Filling not just filling the void, but like kind of like, I don't know, should probably erase the fact that anybody would want me back on the podcast. Like, I'd rather hear from Reem and Tamini than myself. People so, are, people are very happy to have you back. They, I mean, they, Reem and Tamini should have their own podcast because I'd rather listen to both of them than you. So fair. Yeah, I'm just saying, fair. I, fair. you know. You know, you're making a lot of good points early, all right? So we can <laughs> slow down. We can made. slow down a little bit on that. But last thing on, on the program, you were also saying right before we started recording that you were impressed by wasn't really a substitute for you per se, but that by Sendal Ramamurthy, who was our last guest on the show. Jadora. Oh, love him. First of all, just, you know, it was just so cool. And yeah, I wasn't able to make it onto the podcast because of scheduling issues and Mother Nature, Rain Delay in Lexington, which locked me up for a little bit. And I was really, really bummed about it because, yeah, like just it was... I don't know, something about his tweet, like from a couple of months ago, kind of talking about NCR just blew my mind anyway. He's probably like the most like actually like famous person that I don't actually know. You know what I mean? Like through my work or anything. Mm -hmm. Not famous non-tennis person. Yeah, exactly. That's like been like, oh, yes. Like, you know, hi, love the podcast. Like, you're great. I'm like, I'm sorry, excuse me. So but what I really loved about the episode, and you did a great job with it, and Cindy was amazing on it was just, it just struck me 
how much he sounded like the way that he spoke about tennis. He sounded like a guy who listens to tennis podcasts, who played the game at a pretty, you know, good and high level, who watches tennis channel, who watch, you know, like who lives within this kind of not tennis Twitter. I don't want to limit it to Twitter, but this tennis geekdom world that I think you and I are very, very comfortable in. And that just really struck me because I just know that a lot of times when I talk about tennis, even with people who know about the sport, but don't necessarily live within the ecosystem, the tennis ecosystem that I do and that you do, the way that they talk about it and just even the syntax or the words they choose or the players they reference or how they reference that player right like yeah it, it's just it's a little bit different it's like you know being an american and going to canada and being like it's the same but it's a little bit different but yeah with sandil like he was so it just it was so weird he just sounded like straight out like a, a tennis twitter guy uh and it amused me greatly and i loved his passion for the sport and how ingrained he was in it and yeah that i mean he had some takes and i loved it yeah um so i'm looking forward to you know the next episode that we do with him the follow-up uh, where I get to, you don't have to talk. I'll just talk, Thank and it'll you. be lovely. Yes. I've been, I've had to talk too much. It's <laughs> really the thing. I just like you're a better talker than me, and I've had to, I've had to try to replace not only my bad self and then you. It's been a lot of work, so I'm glad you're here to relieve me as we head into this home stretch of tennis actually being back. Like tennis is, I guess it. I did not. I was not confident that tennis, uh, the tours, or the slams. It was their separate entities, I guess, would be back in 2020, but they are and they have been. The two weeks ago, the tours resumed, or the tour, WTA tour is the only one that's been back so far in its tour level version, came back in Palermo two weeks ago, and then last week had tournaments in both Lexington, Kentucky, and in Prague. And I'm just curious for you, Courtney, what it's been like having the tours back. How's it? How is, <laughs> do you have your, do you feel like you have your sea legs back under you? It's a different proposition, obviously. Not that those are usually tournaments we would be at in a normal year. Right. But this is a far from normal year and we were covering those tournaments more close than we would be otherwise. Yeah. They also better no. feels than they would otherwise. So yeah, what do you, what do you make, what has it been like having these three tournaments under your belt so far? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's so, it's so weird. Um, it, 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 I think sea legs is probably the right kind of descriptor for it because it does feel like, you know, it's not about getting back on the horse and finding your rhythm again. It's really just a complete level of uncertainty day to day, week to week, hour to hour as to whether or not these last two weeks were actually going to happen, right? Regardless of what, you know, I was being told what the planning was obviously all the planning was as though they were going to happen but there is still in the back of your mind like what if what if there's a failed test what if something you know what if and so when they act so that because of that there's a part of me that wasn't convinced that they would happen um and so mentally I kind of wasn't really prepared for them to happen so as much as you know obviously my job is to to cover the events remotely and cover them as 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 thoroughly as I would on site, uh, go to the press conferences, things like that, watch the matches, do live blogging, all of the nuts and bolts of what my job is hasn't changed. But doing it without seeing anybody or being in physical contact with people is very weird. Uh, doing it not sitting in a media center is very weird. Uh, you know, it's it's a different level of, of stress and anxiety. There's already stress and anxiety in our jobs. And that's not to say that if I was covering Palermo, uh, Lexington or Prague on site that I would be stressed. I mean, they are, they are international level events. You know, generally, if this was regular times, the media interest would probably be less than it was 
yeah. you know, the last two weeks, just not only because of the circumstances, but also because the fields would have looked a lot different. So all that. But the anxieties that you feel about what time is pressed, what about this match that's finishing on center, and how is this with the second one? Oh, she's not going to come in until after doubles. Oh, but then also, you know, all of that juggling was, which is a juggling that we do on site. It felt very different doing that remotely. And I think yeah. that a lot of it had to do with the fact that you're working outside of your time zone. Um, so there are basic implications of that. Like, I mean, Prague started, I'm in California, Prague started at 2 a.m. Uh, my time. Yeah. Uh, and then meanwhile, Lexington is on the East Coast. So, you know, that would then go until about five or six o'clock my time uh, with press obligations and things like that. And so those are really long days to just kind of be on call across two events. And those, and again, it's, it's weird because it's not like those days are shorter or I'm sorry, it's not like that whole shift is longer than what I might experience on site, but there was just something about it that was just so much more exhausting than normally. It's a different sort of skill set, different sort of rhythm. And I think we, I talked about this in the episode we did during Palermo, I guess, with Reem and Tumani, where I think Tumani was the one who said it, but it's true. Like when you're at a tournament, you are very much at that tournament, like in body, mind and spirit. You're there. You're very dialed into it. And, you know, you go you go to dinner with your friends or whoever might be coming to the tournament afterwards and talk about what might happen the next day or whatever, what happened that day. And you're like, it's much more immersive. And in yeah. some ways, that's kind of easier, like in terms of immersion, like learning a language kind of immersion, because you're just in it and it's, it's unavoidable. You will soak it all up. You will be on the right page for it. Whereas here, it, it, you're very much, you know, one foot. It's very firmly outside of the tournament at all times because you're home. And yeah. you you can try to keep a whole other foot in there, but even that's tr- can be tricky balance wise because you're just right. not in it as 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 wholly in body. First of all, you're not in body at all, and then you and then mind drifts accordingly. Like you can just sort of you know, I had plenty of times where I was you know there was a press conference that I, I promised I would cover some Petra Martich press conference you were going to miss or thought you might miss or something during Palermo, and I was like, yeah, sure, I can do this in thirty minutes, and then I like thirty minutes. Okay, so I sat down, I started watching. I think some hockey playoffs or something. And then like, I got an alert being like, here's a Petra Martich transcript. And I was like, oh <laughs> crap. Like I yeah. completely missed this because I would just, you know, it would not happen if I was on site. Not that we don't miss things on site and not that time management isn't also an issue on site, but I don't know. It's, it's just weird having covering a tennis tournament be a less, yeah, it, it's something that's yeah. a very in-person thing the way we do it, both of us. And I th- yeah, and it, very true. Exactly. I mean, I think that that's something that we should raise is that you and I, and in the same way, like Reem or yeah. Tamini, I think that we have different rhythms in how we cover the sport because we cover it as a whole, as typically, as opposed mm-hmm. to singular stories that people are chasing. And that's the only thing that you're paying attention to that right. day, which is um, just a different way of doing it. I think that w- the big thing that I felt like I was missing was, yeah, just this sounds weird, but the air at a tournament, like you get a sense when you're in that heaving, you know, I think about this in the context, particularly because it's on my mind of the U.S. Open coming up, right? You have a sense of what is happening and what is important and what, yeah, just what's going on on site, just with the electricity in the air. You hear the buzz, you overhear a conversation, you know, like, you know, in U.S. Open, we all sit in that, that, that row back to back and, you know, I'll overhear you know, Ava say something about like, yo, that was an incredible drop shot. And I'll look over and see that she's watching, you know, a a Pagula match and I'll click over and look at Pagula. Like, you know, like there is kind of this passive teamwork that happens when you're in a press center and you as a, as a group 
kind of shoulder the shoulder the load and just inadvertently as well. Like you and I always joke at the U.S. Open about hearing the New York reporters on the other side, you know, uh, like the the New York Post and kind of the locals. Newsday, yep. Yeah, Newsday and like the things that they key on and it's hilarious. And you're like, oh, but that's actually really good to know, you know. And yeah. so you're able to kind of keep tabs, not just by staring at a screen like it's it's full sensory. Right. And so now it's just staring at a screen and it's it just takes more effort is all and more kind of mental attachment. And what you said is very true, which is that you're not you're not fully in it. You're just not like I have a I have a puppy. Mm-hmm. And if my puppy decides to like he ain't he ain't about it right now, like I got to go deal with it. Right. Like and have to think, like, do I try and do this press conference really quickly and not put him back into his crate? But also risk that for the 10 minutes that or it should only be a five minute press conference. But if that player's late, it could be 15 minutes that I'm sitting at my desk. And in those 15 minutes, he might destroy the couch, you know, like and and dealing with, you know, dinner and oh, the deliveries here, like all these things that you just not worried about when you're covering on site. No, that also adds to it. So and look, yeah, we, we both we both started out as bloggers in the sport. Like, yep. We both have done remote coverage, but. We also were doing that with often, not always, but often drafting off the couch people who were on site, right? And benefiting from right. people who were there to give, to do good press conferences and get insights and to really give us the temperature of the grounds better. And we're not going to have that the same way. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that tennis reporting is going to be, as a group, worse during this time, right? Like, I, I, I it's just not going to be the same sort of insightful, you know, relevant stuff that it always would be from people being on site. I'm not saying it, it won't be decent. But it's going to be a different challenge. We're going to have to figure out we're going to miss stuff. You know, there's going to be lots of it's going to be hard for a lot of reporters to watch all the matches, too, is one issue. The way you usually can click through every match at at a tournament and stuff like that. So there's a lot of different things that are going to get missed. A lot of interviews won't happen. I'm I'm not sure how the U.S. Open is going to do with like the bandwidth of because there are times at the U.S. Open where there's like seven, whether it's small table or or larger room press conferences or interviews happening at a time. Right. Or like, are they going to be able to make all those things happen at once? Like. I genuinely don't know. I'm rooting for them. I don't know. So yeah. so we'll see how it all goes. But it, it's been different for sure. And even just like, even the encore part just for me, just like watching tennis. <laughs> and it only then five months. But I remember just, I was just so struck watching the first day of Palermo and watching uh, the Kirstea Sarah Arani match. Oh, and bliss. being, it was so great. And I couldn't tell how much was just that I had been dying of thirst and that anything would quench me? Or if really, Sarah Arani is the most amazing player in tennis history. It's one of those two. And I'm leaning towards the latter. It's not one of those two. It, I was, it can be both. I was blown away. I was just like, oh my God, this I, is the best yeah. thing ever. Sarah Arani was spectacular. She was like in full flight. She was playing in Palermo. So she had some home crowd, the, the scattered crowd that was there. Actually, deep, probably like 100 or so people. Wasn't it was that pretty scattered? decent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. just watching that, like, I was like, okay, I have to then calm down. <laughs> like, I know this. I know you're really enjoying this. I'm happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. We're talking to myself here. I'm both <laughs> Kanye and Taylor in this situation. But Sarah Roddy did not have one of the best matches of all time. So, you know, maybe. I, I'm still not sure. But yeah. Come on. It know. was a great match. It was one of the longest matches of the season. It's 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 it a Ronnie really on clay. It's, it's Kirstea trying to do Kirstea things. It's, it was great. I But I will agree with you because... I think that I've made it very clear on the podcast <laughs> rather emotionally the last like five or six months that like I hadn't missed tennis at all. And I felt mm. really, really bad about it. Like the whole time that during the shutdown, all these exhibitions are going on and everybody's doing, you know, podcasts and videos and everything talking about tennis and 
who's doing what and I don't know, making up topics to talk about. I don't know. But like, uh, you know, Tennis Channel, all these, you know, broadcasters doing their thing. I didn't care. I just didn't. And I felt incredibly guilty about that. Kind of like, what's wrong with me? You know, like, I should care. Like, I care. Normally, I care so much. Right? I'm the, the Billy Eichner gift from, from Parks and Rec. You know, like, <laughs> I care too much. And it's incurable. It was so it was interesting that once Palermo started and then it continued into Prague and, and Lexington, like I just I really do think that it just came down to for me, because this applies generally to my take on exhibitions. Like I think I've always been very I think of everybody that <laughs> of our friend group, like I'm probably the most like negative about Labor Cup. Yeah. And not even negative, but I'm just like, so like I just don't care. So maybe it's just like this is this is actually a very consistent take of mine. Which is that for me, like tennis, when it matters, is tennis that I care about. And tennis, when it's just fluff, no matter how much people want to tell me, but the players care and they're trying so hard. I'm like, I don't care. That's not the point. It's yeah. not a po- about whether the players care. The fact of the matter is, there's 60 bo- ranking points on the line right now. That That's enough for me. And, and it matters. And so, yeah, like I was quite surprised as to how like quickly I was just like, oh, my God, I love this. Yeah. Oh my god, I missed this. Like, you're ref- and yeah. yeah, you're referring to which I should have mentioned earlier. Recapping our activity, we did do one or two like Patreon shows about catching up about like general life stuff. That I think you're referring. Oh right, to your, those are Patreon. Yeah, those are Patreon shows. Um, but <laughs> I think you're referring to your emotional breakdown that is behind paywall only. <laughs> if, it, if it's the emotional breakdown I'm thinking of, I think it was this one, <laughs> but it could be this one also. Both of which are. Or on it Patreon. could have just been one that I had myself that yeah. wasn't recorded anywhere but i definitely <laughs> was having a, cr- a personal crisis about my complete and utter apathy no about but i got the last i had that months. i had that too a lot i mean like i was not somebody who like really gave any sort of craps about watching uh, unlike you know much better tennis fan than me send rama murthy who was watching all the adria tour and all the everything like utr he was on it yeah he was absolutely on it i watched like i like would peek in on each of them to get like a flavor for like maybe five minutes and then I was more or less good. I did tune in to try to watch the, there was a Charleston, that exhibition event match between Keys and Kennan that I like was packing mm. or some, my apartment and, and watched like the first like set of it. But even that it was like, I was like, I didn't really, I didn't care who won that match. Even that's like two American top tenors. I didn't care. So anyway, we respond to this currency, which is a tour. And that's, that's what we do our business in. So I guess on that, just inside the lines for a bit, like who who surprised you for for better? Who did you like take notice of during these uh, these three weeks that you think could actually be meaningful data for for the rest of what range this season? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I have any hot takes here, really. I mean, I think the players that played well are the ones that I'm impressed with. I mean, I as you know, Ben. I've been very high on Jen Brady mm-hmm. for pretty much since Brisbane. Regan, Regensburg's Jen Brady. Regensburg's finest Jen's, Jen Brady. Uh, but yeah, so I, I've been really, really big on her. I've interviewed her probably like four times even before um, last week in Lexington to just kind of get put together and piece together her whole story in terms of the decision to go overseas to Germany during her offseason and pair up with Michael Gesserer and just kind of back herself because if you know Jen, she's pretty quiet and kind of go with the flow and yeah, it was a surprising move to me. So I've been really big on her. And so actually before Lexington, I remember telling one of my co my coworkers, I was like, keep an eye on Jen Brady. Like I know everybody's keeping an eye on every other American that's in that draw. But 
keep an eye on Jan Brady if she's playing the way that she played before, yeah. you know, the stoppage, you know. And so, yeah, she wins a title in Lexington, doesn't drop a set, fewest games lost en route to a WTA title this year, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive as well. And, uh, yeah, got that good win over Coco Goff and uh, Teichman, who played great, I thought, throughout the week uh, in the final. So, yeah, Jen Brady, definitely a player to watch. And I would have said that six months ago. Jen Brady also, I will add, beat number one Ash Barty in Brisbane. So like yes. from jump this year, she's been really, really sharp. Well, and she, and then in Dubai, and she didn't she play Howlett first round of Australia? Maybe she did, and she took yeah, she almost that took tough. that first set. Yeah. yeah, she almost took that first set. Halep took it in straight, and then she made her first uh, premier semifinal in Dubai. Beat Garbine, who had just made AO AO final. She yeah. also beat Svitolina, who's always a tough out for a power hitter like her. Uh, beat Shea Su Wei in qualifying. Like it was kind of a crazy good run. And Vondrosheva, I think. And she had some incredible things to say about your decor. Like I said, Jen Brady was handing out L's last week <laughs> to anybody who came asking. <laughs> and you had a lot of questions. And I had, I had so many questions and even more books. Yes. Even Simona commented on it uh, on press conference. She was like, like, I was asking her a question. She's like, you have so many books. It makes me tired already. I, oh, I got to say, I feel like this is as as much a reflection of tennis players as <laughs> as if more than you even. Because like, with two respect to tennis players... Not only do I don't think they own books, I don't think they know people who own books. It was just weird. Like, that was my reaction was like, everybody keeps roasting me about these books, not just tennis players, like I like WTA colleagues, like anybody that gets onto a Zoom call with me is like, what is going on? It's not, re- it's not really a reading community. First of all, everything on one side is all my books from law school. Behind me is just literature. And then the on the other side, you think those are books, but those are just board games. Like, this is not as intellectual a closet as people are making it out speaking, to be. Speaking of books, though, you should you also, one of the many things you missed was also the uh, summit of queens from across sports, including Helene Elliott, who I also know. had a spectacular library situation in her zone, too. Did. Yes. Well, Queen Helene never puts a foot wrong. Never. We've always never known this. Never once, never once. Uh, and that continues now. But yeah, so so yeah, Jen, Jen was definitely super impressive. I was really impressed by Shelby Rogers, not mm-hmm. just her win over Serena, which I thought was was good. Uh, I mean, very good. I mean, I'm sorry if my tone of voice doesn't indicate like it's a great win. <laughs> um, but I was I think she looks great. I think that like she put in a lot of work during that 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 shutdown. Um, which she said was definitely true. She feels as fit as she ever ever has. And you really saw that. And this applies to Jen Brady as well in terms of like, you know, these power players who now it's the third, fourth and fifth shot and they're still totally willing to rally. Yeah. You know, we've had that discussion about Maddie sometimes in the past of of not, you know, pulling the trigger too early in, in rallies. And when she plays her best, she's willing to gut out those rallies. You've seen that a little bit with with Shelby and with Jen. So super impressed with that. Venus. Venus. I was going to mention Venus. Venus Williams. Venus Williams. Venus Ebony Star Williams. Passed her still, in, in her, in her 41st things. year or in her, past her 40, 40th birthday. Not trying to round up on Venus here. Like Venus looked great. She destroyed Azarenka, who's going to go in my latter category. We'll get to Azarenka in a bit maybe. But and then played so well against Serena. That match, the Venus Serena match, was one of their of their thirty one matches. Was easily, I think, in the top ten in terms of like quality. I think so. And 
and it coming at this stage in their careers with so little prep, with Venus being in her 40s. Venus is somebody, and Tumani, I think, has written about this or tweeted about this more. Like, the retooling of her shots that she's done. Like, mm. Venus put in work. And the fact that she is, like, still dedicated to really improving herself at this stage of her career and, and like, overhauling things in her game, I find just, like, super impressive, super inspiring. And she looked, and she's someone who I will also say had not looked good in 2020 before the shutdown. And so she came back. She had some rough losses. I think she lost to Kai Yuva in the last match I saw of hers, uh, which it was it was not that Kai Yuva's a bad player, but it just wasn't a good match from Venus at all. And then her coming out and looking this sharp and like really taking two Serena up a break on Serena in the third, like that was really impressive. So all hail Venus. I was I was pumped to see Venus playing that well and just again feeling lucky and it's absurd that we still get to watch Venus Williams in 2020. It's nuts. Yeah. Nuts. It's nuts. Nuts. And and yeah, I just. Nothing but love, honestly, just watching, you know, the way that she played against Azarenka, just the consistent speed that she's getting on that first serve, the percentage on that first serve, the the shorter take back on the forehand. It's good stuff. And she was in a good mood, too. She was. She was in a good mood, happy to be back, happy to be playing again. And yeah, I mean, got nipped in the end by by Serena, as Serena does. But I thought that was a great match from her. It was a really I mean, that was definitely the most enjoyable, most enjoyment I got out of watching a Serena versus Venus match. In a decade, probably. Well, I also I also think that it was also for the Serena Venus particular matchup. I actually think it was really nice not having the crowd there because I feel like so often yeah. a lot. And we watched we did this with uh, that match that Nick, when Nick McCarvel early in shutdown was like arranging a, mm. a tweet up yeah. of their 2003 US Open, uh, sorry Australian Open final. Like yeah. the worst part about that match, which was okay, was like the crowd was terrible. The crowd like didn't know what to do. They were like kind of being like meh about everything. By the end, they were sort of rooting for Venus. So Venus wasn't winning. It just like the whole thing was indecisive, and the crowds don't know to do Williams matches, which is fair. I've been a, a fan at Williams matches, liking both of them, and not really, you know, being at my most, I don't know, rowdy or peppy or whatever you want to say. It's just it's kind of awkward and weird. So taking the crowd out of it, I think, actually made it feel more just like a pure like family backyard match between siblings. Like it's a little like real sibling rivalry stuff, and it was. I really liked it. So I, I loved it. Yeah. And I love that I love that like the thirty first edition of it, which very easily could be the final edition of it. Yep. We just you know, it's it's the luck of the draw. We've said it before, but we never know. Yeah. You never know. But if that's the last one, I mean <laughs> cue the think pieces, right? Of just kind of the significance of of being able to watch them with all of everything that they've built and worked for and advocated for kind of stripped away. So, you know, the, what what did the winner win in in Lexington? Twenty five grand. Oh yeah, not much because because the prize money was had to be reduced in order to to get the tournament off the ground. And you know, so this wasn't the glitz and the glamour. This was you know one of my favorite things that was happening in Lexington all week was you know between matches seeing like Serena warming up on a bench behind a cyclone fence and there was the day of the rain delay where I couldn't make the podcast uh, with Sandio like she was walking through a parking lot after the supervisor had come out and said yeah it's gonna rain for a little while and she just was like strolling through past like SUVs yeah <laughs> you know to walk back to the player area you know all of the everything that we that we attach to them as icons American icons not like sporting icons just icons in America like all that stripped away and just like at the end of the day they are two amazing tennis players two absolute like like yeah sporting icons within tennis and hitting forehands at each other and getting pumped and Serena just her celebration on breaking 
<laughs> with that backhand, I think yeah. uh, that was that w- that made me so happy. Like it, that was just so cool to see. It, yeah, it honestly kind of gets to like a little bit of. I think we were talking about this on maybe the Patreon show. Of I watched, and I think you eventually watched this one too. Of the Criterion Olympic documentaries, watching yeah. I watched like White Vertigo, which is the Cortina so Olympics. I want to say fifty six. Yeah, Olympics in Cortina somewhere around then, and. Yeah, like just like the purity of it, and we've kind of gotten mm-hmm. that a little bit with all sports that are happening. Without like NHL, I think has this a little bit too. Like it's all yeah. happening. It feels like in a vacuum. You see, so baseball feels that way. Baseball can feel baseball that way also. too. Yeah, yeah. NBA, I feel like it's like I, I'm not in love with the NBA setup. I think it's really noisy, and just like kind of overcrowded. I know people who do like it. So maybe I just haven't watched enough NBA to get used to their their aesthetic. But like with with hockey and with. Lexington and with yeah baseball also like yeah there's this sort of just like emptiness to it and it's just like has a there's a bad kids going out Bears to play ball, ball kind of exactly feel. Yeah. like that's what I've really loved about about baseball and um is just that especially with my team which is just this ragtag scrappy looking group who of are dudes. dominating folks dominating Oakland what's up but it's been fun to watch them because it, it does you know they hit a home run there are no cheers they're cheering each other on yeah. you know like they have to provide that that stuff so yeah so it, it was it was so cool to get to see something that we've literally never seen before, which is like, you know, Serena and Venus playing for the 31st time, but in completely different circumstances, circumstances that reflect the moment, reflect the times. It wasn't in this hermetically sealed thing. I mean, it's like that everything's empty because of, you know, the, the pandemic, there's black lives matter signage. Like there's nothing about like the vision of throughout that match that made it seem like it was like of a different time. Like, Mm -hmm. like, no, that's happening right now. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, so very impressed by, by Venus and, and by Serena. I mean, the thing about Serena, obviously I know she lost Shelby and et cetera, et cetera. But what I was really actually heartened to see from Serena was I thought that throughout that week, and it sounds weird to say this because she did lose in a third set tiebreaker to Shelby Rogers, but like she was really clutch. So the tennis at times would go in and out and I would argue was getting better as as her performances went in um, until until the end. But, um, you know, she was saving break points. She was coming up really big. She was digging out of love 40 holes, you know, that panic that maybe we're used to seeing especially like in Auckland when she plays like her first events or something where she gets behind, you're like, Oh no, is she going to panic? Is she going to freak out? And you know, the air and the footwork's going to get heavy. Yeah. That happened in, in little pockets. But for the most part, I thought that her, her, her campaign in Lexington, um, you know, the tennis will get better and that rust will subside. But I really liked seeing the lack of panic and when I, I, she was super down in score lines. So wonder- that, that's what I take from her her stint in Lexington. And I wonder how much of that also originates from her conditioning being good and just like having faith in that. Like yeah. That gives her, you know, she's in better looking shape than she has been in a long time. I think probably post Olympia. And so I think that that breeds confidence. And, all, and that's a common theme. Like, and there are pl- a lot of players are coming, have used this, have been able to use this time to get really good conditioning. I, it's, my ambivalence about tennis coming back, obviously, is is known uh, now. And I also want to be very clear that I'm not going to, as much as I'm happy to applaud people for being in great shape now, I'm preemptively trying to figure out how to how to save for both the U.S. swing coming up and French Open when that goes ahead, if that goes ahead. I'm also not going to judge anybody for, like, not being ready. Like, yeah. Like, I see the picture of Chubby Milos Ronich, and 
I blame part of it on horizontal stripes, which you should know better than in that state. But also, and also standing next to Diego Schwartzman. I know. I mean, that's yeah, there. But gonna make but you still, look. Still, he had things. some things that were not Diego's doing, and <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, like I cannot judge that at all. I will acknowledge it. Be like, oh wow, Milos does not look like he's in fighting shape. But also, like we're in the middle of a pandemic, guys. Like I'm not mad at somebody yeah. for being either not able to get the resources they normally do for their training, or just not feeling up to training at full blast during this global crisis that's killing lots of people like yeah so i'm just i'm just trying to make a sort of counter argument to these positive things we've been saying about other players like if you want to if you show up whatever way or counter to that if you don't play tournaments i'm also not judging that either yeah no i, I think that's absolutely right i think the way that we have to i think the smartest not smartest i don't want to say it that way but I think the healthiest way and the fairest way to look at the tennis that is coming back is that it's a bonus. Yeah. That this is not compulsory stuff. This is not, well, you guys should have, you know, like if you come back, I mean, for the most, like if you come back and you're fitter than ever, then okay, congratulations, Shakespeare. You wrote like a bunch of sonnets during, you know, whatever, a pandemic or something. Mm -hmm. But like, if you don't, then you're a normal human being who just wasn't feeling it. Or, and this was something like I was on the, I talked to pretty much about half of the field in Lexington in particular, and then most of the field in Palermo, just to get a sense of what their shutdowns were like. And it really, really varied. And yeah. I think that that's something that people really, that, that fans and pundits also have to understand. Like every player's preparation is different. And I definitely found that out, you know, and, and understood that having talked to so many of the players in Palermo and Lexington in particular, um, and that's something that I think that fans and pundits need to also kind of take into consideration because you have some players who, you know, like Fiona Farrow, who won Palermo, mm -hmm. she had a court at her house. So she was like, tr she's like, I didn't take any days off. Like I was basically doing tennis one day, fitness the next day, tennis one day, fitness the next day through the whole time. She had hitting partners. Her boyfriend is a ATP player. And so he could hit with her. Um, she came back and she looked fit and firing she also is french and so the fft had uh, events like small satellite tournaments like that they'd had within france and she won like 10 consecutive i don't know what it was like seven consecutive matches i don't know what it was mm -hmm. but she beat like cornet she beat mladenovic so she was like tried and true like ready to go and then you know i talked to christian in lexington and she was like look i was in new jersey and we i could not like because of government restriction could not actually like start training in earnest until like July. Yeah. And so she knows that she's behind the eight ball. She said that uh, she turned to her coach as they were coming to, to Lexington and was like, I don't know, like maybe we should turn around. Like maybe this is a bad idea, like <laughs> to, to go play. Um, and she made it through qualifying. I think she won one match and lost or lost her main draw match. I can't remember, but had to retire from it due to a physical issue so you know like it really runs the gamut and then you have somebody like Simona who was like look yes some, there were days where I was motivated and there were days where I was not and when I was not motivated I just packed it up and went home like I didn't force it and then you have other players that are like they just like ground through it um, a lot of players especially the Americans were saying that like they, it was like a race to get uh, gym equipment because hmm. everything was selling out so quickly yeah. So, and this is something I took for granted. These players do not have home gyms. Yeah, even Serena was saying that she doesn't really have a home gym, which right. surprised me. Exactly. So, you know, there was a lot of that of of things, and 
you know, like Marie Bujkova and Magda Lynette, like stayed in the U.S. Like they didn't even go back to Czech and Poland respectively because of travel restrictions and whatever. And they just stayed here. So there's so much variability. And that is in terms of the preparation. And that's something that doesn't actually normally exist. Like when we talk about players preseasons in December, like those are all pretty static. Pretty uniform. <laughs> right? Like everybody remember, did the exact same thing. I remember loving a quote once from Sam Query. He was in Australia and we asked him like, oh, so how was your off season? He's like, look, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, I worked so hard and it was amazing. The best off season ever. Like I did pretty much what everyone else did. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, no. yeah, yeah, but it's the baseline is pretty similar for most times. And yeah, now there's a very varied experience and emotionally too on this yep. too. Like I'm one of the people who's I'm, I have the most sort of question marks about going into the U.S. Open is Naomi Osaka, who sure. it was not clear how much during this whole time she was like the tennis or fitness or whatever was a hot was her main priority when she was going to minnesota to you know get involved in the george floyd protests or whatever else and that's fine like i'm not saying that at all as a, as a negative to whatever knock her uh, i just think that different people have different experiences with this we all have our own uh, comfort levels our own ge geographies to different regions different different tough things to go on our own access to different things own restrictions and yeah so it's gonna be different and we'll see how it, it shakes out and this and you know the in i think my sense for watching the tournaments was like by the by the later rounds and i even mean like second round a lot of times like the tennis was usually pretty good there yeah. were some people who showed up like not ready and they lost in the first round like yep. you know i put azarenka I, in this camp like on the Azarenka, whole though i yeah. just thought the quality was way higher than i was expecting yeah, it to i be. agree i agree yeah it was good but yeah, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You no, no, no. You're, that Mika. was basically you were basically saying what I was going to say, is that yeah, there there people who are not ready. They will not be that big of a blip on this tournament. Which I guess goes to a question we got. I mean, or a question I have, and then we'll get to a question we got that's a little bit related. Like, how is what you've seen from tennis so far and talking to players? Like, how does that calibrate your expectations for what what we're going to expect once the tour gets back to you know? big big events coming up in the cincinnati event and the in the u.s open they're both going to be in new york starting in a couple days yeah i mean again i don't know what to expect for the guys like i haven't i like i said i didn't watch any we haven't, seen them, and haven't yeah. seen them so cincinnati quote unquote will be will be um you know the first eyes on so i mean cur i'm curious about that for the women you know a lot of the top women who are going to play the u.s open have not played so you know obviously we saw serena Great. Saw that. Mm -hmm. Pliskova was going to be top seed at the U.S. Open. You know, a, a tournament she's obviously done well at before. She's beaten the players that everybody, you know, kind of has on the short list of of title contenders. Kennan, Sophia Kennan has not yeah. played. Uh, so we don't know what she's looking like, what Garbina Muguruza is looking like. So there's a lot of, you know, question marks, even like Madison Keys. I mean, she outside of the Charleston exhibition, I don't think uh, we've really yeah. seen her. So Kennan, I will add, played Charleston and World Team Tennis. Soccer, she did. So, yeah. Yeah, but not yeah. not the tour events. I re I refer back to my comments of yeah, about completely forty five minutes ago. But <laughs> um, but yeah, so so that'll be a good question. You know, like Kim Clijsters, like how does she? You know, how is she yeah. hitting the ball? How is she moving? I think she's a player that would have benefited from from an extra five to six months of preparation. So there's a lot going on there. I do think that the lower ranked players. It, it'll be tough, you know, because obviously the cut is so much lower because of all the withdrawals. So you are delving into maybe a, a, a tier of player that you wouldn't necessarily see, obviously, direct in at a yeah. slam. So maybe arguably those those early rounds are different. But, you know, and quote and 
arguably easier. But I do think that I think that not having fans is going to have a actually have an impact. I think, I think that so too. I think that when you're looking at, you know, in particular, you're looking at Serena and you're looking at Coco Golf, like two players who have really benefited from fan support, you know, um, everywhere they go. But but in particular in, in New York and in, on U.S. soil, um, you know, to not have, you know, Shelby Rogers is there taking on Serena in Lexington and it's dead silent. And it couldn't I couldn't help but shake the fact that, like, if this was you know, a regular match, like it wouldn't be dead silent. Yeah. And how many times have we seen like, you know, last year in the U S open final, like Bianca should have beaten Serena like two and two, mm-hmm. but the crown got loud. And in that second set and Bianca got rattled and started and to kind of lose a little literally. bit. Yeah. yeah. You know, and she's not the only opponent to have done that on that court in that stage of that match <laughs> had Naomi mm-hmm. had done it the year before as well in terms of plugging her ears. So, yeah, it's I think that that's an interesting curveball that you'll that I think will impact the women's draw obviously more than the men's draw just because I mean contenders. Yeah. So I guess I guess the question we get from from Richard Flowers which I think hits at the sort of asterisk conversation that we're going to get with a lot of which we've already started having and richard asks hey ben and courtney what does this u.s open title mean in the history books i'm comparing multiple slam champs to players who've been knocking on the door of their first slam he's saying for example if serena or djokovic win this title is it more acceptable in their trophy case because they have showed they can win slams compared to a first time winner winning this u.s open since many top players are attending and this his sort of scenario i think gets to my main my main take on asterisk gate, whatever you want to call it, ask us debate, which is like, I'm going to pretty much reserve my judgments about this tournament until it's over. Like, I have no idea right now what the US Open will be or feel like or look like tennis wise. Right now, I just don't know. I don't know how people are going to react. I don't know, especially like best of five, the men who have not played at all, what that's going to look like. It could be really, could be really dicey. We'll see. So my general rule is, is to withhold judgment. But I also, I just think it's gonna be very different, if nothing else. Like, Yes, by the math, obviously, having six of the top 10 so far out of the women's field is going to make it theoretically easier, quote unquote, to win a Grand Slam. There's no way around that. However, plenty of times players have gone deep in slams in recent years in women's tennis without playing that many top 10 players. So if the draw is up other- otherwise, it might be comparable. And similarly, it's just, or differently, it's also just a completely different task to have to block out all of the distractions of this U.S. Open and what it'll look and feel like and the the stress. It'll be just different playing a mid-pandemic at Grand Slam. So I'm not saying it's going to be easier, per se, or harder, per se. I think it should be a very different equation in a lot of directions. So I, I'm gonna, I'm waiting and seeing, basically, is my, is my asterisk take. Courtney, I'm curious uh, what, what do you think I mean, about this. I don't, I don't think that waiting and seeing is the way to go. Okay. Because I think that either you asterisk it or you do not. And if you asterisk it, you asterisk it because of like the everything that we know going into the event. But you can't take the result and then depending on the result, stick an asterisk on it. That's just sports. Well, okay. I, like, I get, you know what I'm saying? Like, I get that. But okay. But what, what happens if like, for example, on the men's side, there are like three walkovers in the quarterfinals or something? If like things well, start getting weird. Well, things start getting weird. I mean, but it's also again like what we what we're saying the asterisk means. Does the asterisk mean, yo, this one's a little bit different, we're just calling it out, you know, like like italicizing something. Yeah. Or is the asterisk saying this is lesser than? 
and that's a, I don't think that people really agree on the de- that definitionally, but I think that from what I can I can tell, people think that it's an asterisk means lesser than within our sport. And I think that okay, if you want to stick an asterisk on it, which I'm kind of inclined not to do, to be quite honest, it's more because of just intellectual purity, I suppose, or like trying to remain consistent. Like you cannot sit there and say Serena's chase for 24 is the story of the U.S. Open when that record arguably has asterisks asterisks on a it. Lizard of asterisks, yes. Which many people argue they do. So if you're in the camp of like you want to asterisk you know, the the weak draws of the of the of, of Margaret Court's Australian Open runs. OK, then I guess I would be more inclined to like be like, oh, OK, so you're going to asterisk this too. Fine. Fair enough. But then don't like hype the whole like, you know, 24 because like that record you're acknowledging with your asterisk is kind of illusory. Right. Um, but yeah, like I just I don't know. I I think John Wertheim wrote something on Twitter within the last week or so that was like something like you know, people just remember the winners. Like, people just remember that you won. They don't necessarily remember the circumstances of. Now, that being said, obviously, I can recognize that these are, you know, word of the year, unprecedented times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is not the same as, like, you know, Serena wins Roland Garros, having not played a top 10, top 15 player or something like that, when she beat Safarova mm-hmm. in the final. Mm-hmm. Yeah, People don't asterisk that. No. People are like, oh, it's amazing that she won because she was also like on her deathbed and sick and had the flu the whole time. People don't ask Risk even like to go to his to Richard's question, like when Bartoli won her first slam without beating a top 10 player en route. Like people don't ask to risk that. Marion like, definitely doesn't asterisk. Absolutely it, not. And, and nor would I. I mean, like, we can. You, 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 yeah. <laughs> this one should be asterisk. No. And like, and at the same time, like, you also don't get points for people also don't do the opposite for like, I don't know, Sam Stoser going through like a murderer's row people at the 2010 French Open and not getting a title. Being like, well, that was as good as winning a slam. You don't get a trophy for that. Like, Skiloni still gets the, the trophy and the title and all these things. And like, yeah, the winners will be remembered. And we still remember, like, to go, and we have a lot of examples of this in tennis with a lot of, not even pre-open era like Mark Corp, but even like things when the Australian Opens and the French Opens were really not well attended by top players. Yeah. Right? It's like, we don't, we don't, asterisk. we don't go around <laughs> asterisking like Virginia Ruzic, who won like a really weak but, French Open, right? We don't, even, we don't do that. But even the, the the flip side of that, which is that we don't, when we talk about this, is why I don't like the asterisk. The asterisk is just context, mm-hmm. and every title run, or record, or whatever it is, has context, has yeah. unwritten context that you, as a, a follower of the sport, as a fan of the sport, as a scholar of the sport, whatever it is, know, right? So. In the same way as, like, for example, people want to asterisk weak draws. I mean, it's not like we stick an asterisk on, you know, Chris Everett only has X number of slams, quote unquote. Well, she didn't go to a bunch because these were not important. Like, you know, she didn't go, you know, and chances are she probably would have won them and her numbers would have been padded. And, you know, going back to like Billy and, oh, she had this many slams. Well, she was trying to establish a tour at the time. You know, there are... Once you start asterisking things, it's not really an, it's just it's just the context of the thing. So if like Serena goes and she wins 24 here, yes, we will remember the context of 24, yeah. which is global pandemic, slight, you know, uh, no crowd, no crowd, uh, fewer top 10 players than ever at the U.S. Open. Da, 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 da. That's for us to know as, again, followers, fans, scholars of the sport. It's not a record books thing. 
you don't you don't stick an asterisk on it and say that was lesser than like that doesn't make any sense to me at all. So, yeah. And and yeah. And I think that but if you but if you want to if you're going to be an asterisk truther, then <laughs> then you slap the asterisk on at the front end. You don't stack it on at the end. In other words, if Novak and Serena win the U.S. Open, you don't sit there and say, oh, no asterisk because like, I mean, they, you know, they probably would have won anyway. Mm-hmm. But if if the winners are uh, Hubert Hercotch and Elena Rybakina, fingers crossed, you can't then slap an asterisk and be like, "Oh, weak field." That, it, it doesn't work that way to me intellectually. You have to you make the decision before day one, and that's it. And we can argue about that decision, but I feel like that's the thing that I feel more passionately about is like not to bootstrap the result into legitimate or non illegitimate just because you deem the result legitimate or illegitimate. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, I, th- I don't, I don't like that. I personally feel really passionately about you getting to see Huey Hercatch winning a slam. Personally. I just want that. Movie slam. I'm just saying, I think it'd be great. I think he would not mind. There was no one there. I think he'd have a great time. I will shout down all asteriskers. <laughs> I go. hope that the trophy is an asterisk and he just lifts it over his head. That'd be funny. If there was an asterisk trophy. That'd be cute. Actually, that'd be cute. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, we got a question from Erica Jane Glam Goals, loyal Glam Goals listener, who asks, uh, can you please discuss the Manhattan Project, which is a reference to something Stacey Allister said about the ideas of trying to make Long Island feel like Manhattan, which, okay, first of all, a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, the first week is supposed to be replicating Mason, Ohio, right? So why are you trying to make it feel like Manhattan? <laughs> it's supposed to feel like Mason, Ohio. Bring in graders or where's something. The sky, where's the skyline truck? This is what I'm saying. All right. Right. That's, I mean, that's, that's the main point. But then also, like, how do you think that the players are going, are, are handling this so far? I got to say, I'm a big fan early on. I think we're going to get a lot more of this, of the players, like, moving into their own little suites in their apartments. And I mean, it feels like <laughs> tennis apartment building with, like, a big courtyard in the middle that happens to be Arthur Ashe Stadium. I don't know. I like, I like, it all feels very, like, uh, Florida retirement village to me. They're they should have like, brought, yeah. they should have brought Aga in, hotel to owner. Deco- yes, to decorate Agnieszka her tennis team rooms. Yeah. That would have been amazing. So what's the question? Like, I what, guess the how... question is like, what, what, how do you think it's early days? Maybe we're in a honeymoon period for this thing and we'll see. Cause obviously tennis players have expressed various reservations or levels of enthusiasm for playing this slam. I guess, how, how do you think the players will handle these conditions are handling it so far? I guess it's too early to know, but what, what do you think about that side of it? Yeah. If they're going to be up for this quote unquote challenge. I think that one of the big things is everyone is rooting for the USTA here. Like, and people might not understand that to be true because they might see like people are being negative or like whatever, but literally no one wants to see the USTA fail here. Like, I mean, because if, if, if the U S open goes down, it, it becomes a domino effect. If they can't maintain this bubble, it becomes, you know, it amplifies questions about Roland Garros. It amplifies questions about Rome. It amplifies questions about any other tournaments going forward. This was why, you know, with the Adria tour, it was so grating I think to a lot of people within the sport, at least that's how what was happening on my phone uh, as people were texting was all the people, the people, the name, the name, the people who you guys don't know, like names and faces who are the, the, the ones that are shoveling with and have the hammers and the hard hats on trying to get tennis back and get, trying to get tennis back safely. See that and, are, and all they see is, is you're making this so much harder for us to have an event. We are trying to do everything the opposite of what you're doing. And now everybody thinks that like all tennis players are going to be Adria Tour idiots, right? And whereas the reality of it is actually it's kind of worked, much to my surprise. Like, I mean, every event that has happened outside of Novak Slam 
has gone off all right, right? Like Patrick's thing down in in Nice, um, the Czech tournaments, the French tournaments, the regional events, Charleston, World Team Tennis, and then the three WTA events so far. It's it's worked. Yeah. And I've been quite surprised by it and like in a good way, obviously. But yeah, so like everybody wants the USDA to do this right and to succeed. Um, and I would hope that people kind of understand that. I think that with the players, I don't know, man. Like I I asked Petra Martic straight up in um in um Palermo. I think uh Reem published the quotes, but I asked her, you know, how confident are you that when these events get bigger in New York, and that was the terminology I used, when the mm-hmm. when the events are bigger, and she kind of like, you mean when the guys get when the guys arrive? <laughs> and I was like, uh-huh, sure. But how confident are you that protocols will be followed? And she was like, I am not confident. And this is <laughs> like straight Slo- up. That's what Sloan said, too. I mean, Sloan yeah. said like National <laughs> the Guard. National Guard at the doors. And I feel that, you know, I do think, yeah, to echo your point, I do think that like what Adria Tor did, and I think even more specifically what Zverev did afterwards, like was damaging to the credibility and the trustworthiness of tennis players as a whole because it's you know we have limited data right now we don't we don't it's like the world generally you don't see the good behavior as clearly as you see the bad behavior right, right. you don't right. see the players like responsibly putting on their mask before they go grocery shopping or staying distant but you do see the like obnoxiousness of the beachside monaco dance party that that sasha's at while he's supposed to be in quarantine or while well, he said he'd be in court or you know said he'd be following doctor's advice whatever he said that he didn't do so I yeah, I'm also not hoping for these events to go badly. That's not to say that I'm I wanted them to happen. I had a lot of ambivalence about whether or not they should be played. But sure. now that now that we've reached a clear point of no return, at least on the US events, I think. It would take a lot to change it so the US Open doesn't happen at this point. Now that we're there, like yeah, I don't want anyone to get sick. I'm not rooting for them to, to implode. I, I, I still do think there is real risk involved with these things, but I do think that the US Open is trying their best and and i hope that it hope that it goes smoothly yeah every every new event is a new challenge i think transporting this whole tour across back across the atlantic ocean for a whole different swing of events in two different countries and everything like that it's tough and i wish that rome for example was being because i think they're having no fans in rome right so why not just play that at the same site as the french open why not do some consolidation already i have i have complaints or you know uh, concerns but I'm at this point, yeah, I, I want to see the things go well. I think they've clearly made their decision to take this risk and take this chance of holding the tennis tournaments. And yeah, so from this point on, I hope they I hope they go well. At the same time, yeah, I, I fully support any tournament who doesn't feel like they can they can hold them now. Any if you whether it's Madrid or the whole Chinese government shutting down everything in that country, whatever that that involves, like I get it. I'm the same way about players. I'm a little bit like you know you do you like whether you want to yeah, play or it's... not hold or not hold at this point but hold if you're going to hold make sure you do are very diligent about it and but you that's know, the thing that's yeah. the thing that i'm concerned about and that's the thing that you know i've been admitted I've, I've been very very impressed and surprised i have to say by how far the usca has gone with its safety protocols mm-hmm. i just i don't know for some reason i just kind of thought that they would kind of cave to well it's been a player pressure they didn't start off this way 
no, they didn't start off this way. And, you know, but I think that, that yeah, I really thought that they were going to cave to player pressure of like, we want our full entourages and we want, you know, all this freedom and whatever. And, you know, they're the, the changes that they or the rules they put into place are are strict and we'll see if they are enforced. I mean, I think that it's hilarious that you literally need a note from Stacy yeah. to leave site like that's amazing to me. <laughs> but that being said, this will come down to, I mean, obviously, yes, a lot of it will come down to the USCA and their ability to kind of maintain their own organizational safety. So making sure ball kids, umpires, you know, not ball kids, sorry, ball persons, umpires, uh, broadcasters, all that sort of stuff that they stay clean transport. So that, that, mm -hmm. but a big burden is going to be on the players. And I guess the stuff that rankles me is if you don't if you think it's not safe or if you think that the rules that have been put into place are overreaching and onerous then then don't come right 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 if you weigh it all and you decide you know what for a shot at 3 million dollars and a minimum of 30 or 40 or whatever it is I'm going to come I have a very hard time then signing on to my social media and seeing people, players, complain about conditions, complain about the quality of the free hotel room they're getting, complain the about out of their hotel room. I do not give a shit about your parking lot. I don't Who care. Cares? And especially when that hotel room or whatever, like all the rest of us are looking at like that's standard issue. Like, yeah. That's a staff room. Like I, I'm like I've stayed in rooms like that, and they're perfectly fine. You know, um, I don't. That's the stuff that is going to rankle me. If if people, if I see tweets or social media posts about complaining about transport, complaining about lines to get in, complaining about how long it takes to get a or having to wear a mask, whatever it is, that's going to be when I'm going to come real close to just being like, shut this down. These people do not deserve this. Like people have like killed, like not killed themselves. I'm not going to use that language right now, but have toiled to put together this event to create jobs for not just them, but like for us, for our friends, for people who are way like lower on the financial totem pole mm -hmm. than these players and the inability to read the room. That is going to be the stuff that sends me over the edge and I'm not going to tweet about it. I'm not going to like whatever. But I will most certainly get on my WhatsApp. I was going to say, don't do that, but I will hear about this, I'm sure. <laughs> I will get mad. Like, that's that's the stuff that, you know, and it doesn't mean blow smoke up the USTA's ass. It doesn't right. mean that you have to get there and be like, this is the greatest thing. I don't need to see that either. But this is an event that's being held under, like, very difficult circumstances in the best circumstances it possibly could be held because the New York infection rates are, like, under 1%. And and these are really, really like strong restrictions and yeah. they're limiting the number of people coming on site. This is the best that we can do, you know? Yeah. So yeah. If, he, if 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 the if the players are going to continue, though, in light of all of that to still show their asses, which they kind of have been not on the whole, but there have been very specific instances of ass showing in the last like six months in terms of entitlement, in terms of. Uh, recklessness in terms of a lack of empathy in terms of just sheer stupidity and lack of intelligence in my opinion that's going to be the stuff that sends me over the edge so like I hope to God that the USTA pulls this off and that it goes on without a hitch 
asterisks are the last thing on my mind at the moment. But I really do feel that the responsibility lands squarely amongst the players. And if it doesn't go off without a hitch, that it, it will be cut be because I don't know, somebody just had to go to Manhattan for some reason. I don't know. Or I don't know. Because I, I, I don't know what the hotel looks like. They, it seems like they have like all these social things like a like a video game room, which mm-hmm. I was like, just give everybody PS4s and let them play online with each other. Like, why is there a video game room? I don't get it. Like yeah. food trucks. I that's really nice and really cool. And apparently like free Uber Eats, <laughs> according to free to, Uber Eats. Yeah. Somebody tweet, te- texted that or tweeted that at Mike Joyce and Mike Joyce was like, what? <laughs> but it's like free Uber Eats the entire time. All that. These, which players, is are, these players are so spoiled. <laughs> There's no I other just, word for it. I don't, I mean, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> crazy, honestly. Like I, like, I get it because, like, they're not supposed to spend time on site, so they need to go back to their rooms and or go back to the hotel. And, yes, you're going to get stir-crazy, but for a shot at three million bucks, I don't know. I That's think, what I'm saying. I think like, I could, right? I could manage to be stir-crazy for Like, the stir-crazy is part of why, like, I think that's a real consideration for italicization or asterisking or whatever of this slam. Like, it's going to be, a, it's a different challenge, right? This is a different ball of fish that we're dealing with here and yeah and so whoever can handle this fish ball well good on them and and we'll see how it goes with the french open to the french open is also different i i don't think we know corny correct me if i'm wrong i don't think we have any real idea about what the french open bubble regulations are going to be at this point i have heard nothing yeah so we'll see what that's like too that makes me a little nervous too i hope they are going to go some sort of hard bubble and not just we trust you to be on your own in paris and it's gonna be fine uh no don't do that like make it yeah we'll see anyway one more question we got from a reader. Obviously, again, the, the messages were flooding and people are so happy to have Courtney back on the show. They couldn't believe it. Mike Tomlinson, listener, asks, this might be a topic that bores you now. And I've heard comments already from journalists, but I'm interested in Courtney's thoughts about the fanatical fans who, during this period, have attacked journalists for their allegedly biased reporting. What do they want exactly? What do they believe sports journalism should look like? A constant positive review of their favorites, even during some questionable decisions? There seems to be a growing contingent who are attacking tennis journalism, and even if we disagree or agree with the content, surely it's essential. So I suppose my question, I'm on my second gin and tonic, he adds, is really about, in the age of Twitter, why is sports journalism, sports journalism still a necessity, and how do you cope with some serious negativity? What is a sports journalist in 2020? Very interested in hearing about what it's like as a career in this line of work uh, in the modern Twitter-focused age. Many thanks and much love to you. And by much love, I'm sure he means that for Courtney. So, <laughs> Courtney, you are loved. And what is your, what are your thoughts? I'm on, jealous yeah, on, of the on, gin and tonics. I, I know, right? Mm. Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. I mean, like, I it, it makes me think back to the great roundtable that you hosted with uh, so many of, of our friends, Caitlin Murray, uh, Lindsay Gibbs, Ava Wallace, and Queen Helene herself, mm-hmm. um, talking about the different, you know, sports bubbles that were existing and uh, I believe that it was it was either Caitlin or Lindsay. I can't remember who said it, but that, you know, people keep looking to sports as being an escape from reality. Like, like oh, sports can be, you know, the best of us or, you know, like, uh, yeah. you know, escapist entertainment or something. But that actually sports is a reflection of society. Like, it's not an escape. It's not an example of. It's a reflection of. And I think that, you know, all the questions and examples that Mike was kind of uh, listing out there about kind of, yeah, attacking journalists, like, uh, what kind of coverage do these people want, just like favorable coverage of their guy or girl, like, da, da, da. Isn't that what we're seeing in the real world? 
Like there is no the the idea of truth or that it's okay for so, to just disagree with somebody's opinion. Like it's not it, it you know like it's okay to just read somebody's like column like all of us used to do when there was newspapers and blogs of just reading Bill Simmons's take on the Boston Red Sox being like, oh, I totally disagree with that. This guy. What an idiot. Yeah. And just moving on to my next thing that I'm going to read, not like going freaking nuclear on, on, you know, because somebody said something that I don't like, you know, and that's just what's happening in the world with respect to news, with respect to politics, with respect to entertainment reporting. I've seen this with video game reporting. I've seen it in film Twitter like there is no objective truth anymore. At least people don't believe it. The, the minute that you say like somebody, you know, it's kind of it goes back to the origins of Twitter of like, well, actually people and like reply guys. Right. It's like blah, blah, blah. Won a match six, four, like six, four in 42 minutes. Actually, it was 43 minutes. OK, sure. I guess like I hope you had fun with that tweet. I hope you feel better. Like, you know, like whatever. There's just yeah. So there's that aspect of it. I think that like sports journalism has changed. Right. Because when you think of journalism, like there's a reason why journalists refer to themselves as journalists and columnists refer to themselves as columnists or writers. You know, there's a difference between being somebody who is employed for their takes and for their opinions mm -hmm. and at least in the past and somebody who's there to report the hard facts. Right. Like writing gamers and newsers and, you know, reporting on news and reporting stories. And also a difference and, between like what, what you do and what I do. Correct. Of yes. You working for WTA now. Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. So the, yeah, don't worry, I'll get in there. Okay. Uh, and so, so that's kind of, that used to be the delineation between those two things. And I think that nowadays, like with Twitter, with podcasts, now that everybody has a microphone that is unregulated, right? It's not your employer that regulate, you know, that, that, or you don't have a publisher on Twitter. Your publisher is you. So now it's like, now we do whether you're a journalist or you're a columnist, if you're a columnist, you are also kind of breaking news sometimes. And if you're a journalist, you are also providing your takes and things like that. And we obviously know that like with Twitter, I can say this like completely, if not for Twitter, I don't know if I work in tennis. I mean, Twitter and my jokes and my opinions and, you know, having an opportunity to to kind of let people know that. I kind of knew the sport and that I cared about the sport and that my they can see my work ethic, all these sorts of things. It's like a running CV. It it, it definitely opened up all of the 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 doors for me to to get the job that I have now. And then on top of that, as Ben mentioned, there's a huge difference between what Ben does versus what I do versus what Reem does versus what Tamayani does. Like, you know, like for me, I work for a federation. I've never referred to myself as a journalist. Even when I was working working for Sports Illustrated, I never referred to myself as a journalist. I was always like, I'm a writer. <laughs> because when have I ever broken news? <laughs> I think that anytime that I want to break news, I'm like, hey, Ben, break this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I just, I have no interest in doing it. You know, I'm just a writer. I like writing about it and following the sport. And occasionally, maybe back in the day, I would issue opinions. But now I don't even do that. Because obviously, as an employee of the tour and a writer for the tour, my opinion is meaningless. Like, it, uh, what I say shouldn't matter. What I think of something shouldn't matter. So all that is just to say, like, I, yes, Mike, like, the lines are completely blurred in terms of what is sports journalism these days. I don't even know if I have an answer for that anymore. I to his to his other point about like what do we expect from sort of fanatical fans like i do also think yeah that a lot of people just fully don't 
understand at least what I think my role is in this part, which is just, you know, more or less to call things as I see them. Like when I will point out that I think it's very odd that Rafael Nadal is doing this long feature for Forbes about how wonderful it is to own his like, I don't know, $60 million yacht or something. And it feels like a strange thing to do tonally during a pandemic that's still raging in financial crises around the world or whatever. Like, people get all mad that I'm, like, not lifting up Rafa all the time. I was like, but I'm also not here to promote the sport purely. And, I, and I get this a lot. You work for the sport, Ben. Who you work for the Someone sport. said that. Oh, it was, it, was, it was, yeah, Feliciano, who, that guy, um, <laughs> who, I guess, yeah. I mean, it, there are so many people in, in tennis who do work, quote, unquote, for the sport, who do take money from various tournaments or federations, whatever, and they have to do that to get I work get for the by. sport. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you do in a way that I don't. I work sort of in the sport or about the sport without working for the sport per se. And I and I got this, you know, from Isner during like Atlanta. I guess it was the same thing, actually, the same incident where like um, I was saying I didn't know how good an idea it was to have fans in the stands in Atlanta and having Tiafo testing positive there. And if this event was at all a good idea or worth the risk, and I still don't really think it was, even if there were no further tests that we know about, we don't know who caught any, whatever in the crowd. We'll never know that. But, and people get upset that I'm not sort of, you know, carrying the water for the sport that they want me to. And yeah, I certainly get that gosh from Novak fans and everybody who just has like selective hearing or things that I'm like only ripping on their person. It's like, no, no, I am like equally. You're <laughs> equal opportunity. Equal I can opportunity say that as somebody hater. who works for the yeah. WTA, that Ben is equal opportunity. <laughs> yeah. like he's, he's not shilling. And I get, and he knows I get pissed at him like just as much as like, you know, any other like Federation person would get pissed at him for, you know, holding truth to power. And that is the thing about journalism that I don't know. It shouldn't just be a Western thing. It shouldn't just be a thing in America or, you know, in the Western world or whatever. But like journalism is like as a journalist, regardless of what is the um, your beat, whether your beat is politics, whether your beat is mm -hmm. sports, whether your beat is technology or entertainment. But your job is to hold truth to power, like it is to call out the institutions and to keep them honest. That's why that's why the press is considered the fourth estate, right? It's the fourth branch of quote unquote not government, but it's the thing that keeps the government in check. Yeah. Right? And that it, we take that as an absolute truth when it comes to politics and government and stuff that matters, let's say, right? But for some reason, people don't think that that's the default in sports. But it yeah. should be. Just in the same way as like, you know, I follow film Twitter. In the same way that like film Twitter calls out Disney, calls out, you know, the mergers and things like that of like, oh, well, this the, here is the impact of this merger into, you know, what movies are going to look like down the road. And it just means that we're going to get more MCU. We're going to get more Avengers and da, da, da. And then you have all the Avengers fanboys being like, and what's wrong with that? Like Avengers is awesome. Like da, 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 that's all we want. Like we don't need your dumb like independent movies, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, no, I'm not saying that Avengers movies are bad per se like enjoy what you want to enjoy but let's stop and look at like what the industry repercussions of this are and mm -hmm. what are the repercussions towards art yeah so like that's what film reporters do and they and they but like for some reason and i think that in most sports that's it's well accepted that that's what sports journalists do but for whatever reason in tennis it's not accepted and it makes the sport honestly the the the, the yapping about it just makes the sport, it always reminds me that the sport is just JV. It's just small. super junior varsity. It's small. It's niche. Because if I am an NBA reporter, 
and I'm reporting on the bubble or I'm reporting on contracts or breaking news or things like that or or whatever controversies. One player said this about that player, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not scared about people coming after me because that's just that's my job as a reporter. Like, you know, that's literally the job. For some reason in tennis, like, I don't know, like everybody thinks that if you have a toe in tennis that you're supposed to be a cheerleader for the sport, that everything that the sport does is great. And it comes from this kind of mentality that the sport isn't big enough. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's this weird chip on the shoulder that tennis as a sport has. That's kind of embarrassing to be quite honest. And it doesn't, and it doesn't, I don't think that, well, this is a broad statement. I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I don't feel like most of at least the negativity quote unquote that I bring in my reporting is weakening the sport per se, or actually like damaging the sport. Maybe, maybe it sometimes is. I mean, I'm thinking of another time when like, I wrote up a whole thing or I, wrote, I had written about it previously, but then sort of like reposted my thing about when Marco Cecchinato made the French Open semifinals and about his match fixing allegations in the past. And I was reporting about existed there and I got like, you know, Todd Woodbridge or somebody else who's very much in tennis and very much works for tennis saying, oh, you know, you're just trying to hurt the sport and always being negative. Like, I think it, 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 it's kind of <laughs> it's, a good thing for the credibility of tennis that people are like, are willing yes. to report on it too. Yes. Like if, if we're if we it's not it's good for Marco Cecchinato that like people know who he is or some level or at least not not a specific instance maybe but like that there is that I had been able to write a story about this guy who was ranked like a hundredth when he got his original uh, fixing uh, charges or initial convictions I think that he got I think that's really positive that I especially that I had an editor at that time at the Times and Nyla who was like yeah we should do a story about this this is like worth covering this Cecchinato yeah. situation. And when you don't think that, when you don't think that things are like important enough to get anything but the sort of press release coverage of, then it's that's a problem. Right. I mean, and that's the other thing, too, is that if 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 tennis reporting is just, you know, publishing press releases and things like that, if, if the sport becomes completely one that is reliant on access journalism, which is, you know, basically journalism that is geared towards making ensuring that you have access to the the players and the people that you need to talk to in order to write your stories. And which, keeping them in your good graces at all. And times, keeping so. that you're right, exactly. Like, I mean, you know, there are certain players where you're not you're just never gonna see a bad word about them because heaven forbid that player or that agent says, Nope, you no longer get to talk to to my player. Yeah. You and know, you're on the certain, outside. Certain in. players and certain reporters who where their bread is buttered, basically. Right. Yeah. And, and like, the, and, and I say this, like, all in the context of what I have always said on this podcast, which is that my dream and what I want in terms of these, the journalism, or the media ecosystem of tennis is like, that it's balanced, like that there are, you do need access journalists, because the fact of the matter is, not all players are just going to talk to anybody. So you do need them to get the, the, the details and the stories, you know, to that otherwise other journalists won't be able to get. But you also need people who are on the outside, who don't rely on the access, who can then, you know, be critical of that, you know, and, and to, to, to be, um, to offer balance and to not be sycophantic about their coverage of the sport and the players um, and the personalities that are, that, that make it up. You see this across the board, you know, and, and. More and more, I don't know, I feel like the needle is going one way and I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing. And I say that as somebody who is an access quote unquote journalist, like, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, I get access to the players because, you know, I work for the tour. And obviously, if I write something 
bad. That's not good. Like, I'm going to get yelled at. And right? They like, and they don't see you and agents don't see you as being adversarial the way they right. outside press so often. Right. Because there are clear consequences to being adversarial yeah. <laughs> for me. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, so so that is the check on my behavior. But at the same time, in a lot of ways, like you do need me. Right. Like, because they will talk to me, mm-hmm. some of them, you know, and, and so then I can like, you know, I've talked to a lot of journalists about this. Like I put kind of I try to put the basics out there and I hope that everybody else picks up the football and runs with it and runs and, and does proper reporting, different reporting, you know, and takes a story to a different level and a different place. That's my ideal. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the negativity, honestly, I just deal with it by like muting and blocking people without even thinking twice about it anymore. Like, I just don't care. Like, yeah. I remember like probably like five, six years ago, it was it was that thing of like, I don't want to give people the satisfaction of knowing that I blocked them or muted them. I was like, what do I care now? Like, I'm like, nah. And, and I block people for like the dumbest reasons. <laughs> I will I, never. I, I have no problem with it. I will whatsoever. never object to anybody's decision to block anybody, myself included. If you want to block me, like I'm never mad at you for it. Yeah. Like I remember one time I was, I think it's when Carol Bouchard's book came out, her book, The, the Quest, the Djokovic mm-hmm. book. And I was like, I tweeted out like, hey, Carol's great. You should go buy her book. And someone was like, well, she blocked me. And I was like, well, I'm sure she had her reasons. I don't even <laughs> need to hear her side. I'm already on her side. I don't care. Like, there's no I, people can get their feelings from my block. Is I guess I don't care. But you get to curate your own Twitter experience. I, I go through phases of of being very loose with the block. Certainly, gosh, during like uh, what was that guy? Uh, you know, magical water boy Djokovic time. I was doing a lot of blocking during that whole session. And other times yeah. less so, and it's not necessary. And yeah, certainly the the amount of the amount of vitriol I get is preposterous given my job description as being a tennis reporter. Like, it's nuts. You would think I'm talking about like war crimes of some kind or something much more entrenched and passionate than someone feeling like they're a member of the big three is something slighted by me like calm down folks like we're happy that you like tennis but keep it but it's keep also it, keep i it mean social. i will say like you know fans are fans and fans are allowed to enjoy the sport however they want to enjoy it like and that's what the block and mute button is so if yeah. you're gonna like be a jerk and just or not even be a jerk just like talk to me in a tone that i just don't appreciate or just continue to try and have a conversation with me that like clearly i'm not trying to have with you like you know what i mean like block that's it and i move on like i don't i do think that the general like obsession with like certain fan bases like by certain journalists like you know like is just overkill it's like if they don't like you they don't like you just like move on like just complete just block move on still keep doing what you're doing like, don't worry about it. Who cares? Like, if that is what makes them happy is being mad, then let them like, that's how you want to enjoy the sport. That's how you want to enjoy the sport. That's fine. But I assure you that there are more joyous ways of doing it. But, you know, whatever. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I feel like years on, like now I know how to deal with it all. Maybe like 10 years ago, like I would have been way more like, oh, no, and be like, really sad if like people like hated me because of a dumb like a dumb opinion you know but nowadays i'm meh. i'm like whatever that's cool you have your opinion i have mine i move on like i don't i don't go nuclear on your opinion i don't know why other people have to go nuclear on mine well we go whatever the opposite of nuclear is in just terms of smothering with pillows and happy faces of not smothering with pillows Where is this be, going? I, don't, I don't know <laughs> all i wanted to say was to wrap up but it's very nice to have you back on the show courtney as always it was lovely to be back and always, i i always want to be i just you know i just uh, this goes to all the, the, the I have types of journalism <laughs> stuff too is also like during 
these times where it was more about the existential crises of tennis and should they should they not go should they go whatever like is the tours merge should they not merge like these kind of questions you're gonna always recuse yourself from on the show which i think people yeah just know because i don't yeah i don't think that because i mean precisely because of that like i don't think that anybody i would hate it if people were like oh yeah she's just saying that because she works for the tour because that would be if i would like opine on those 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 issues like regardless no matter what if yeah so i'm just like yeah then i'm just like then my opinion just doesn't matter like you know but you guys know my opinions on things <laughs> i think it's not always so, hard to tell them. yeah well want to thank you guys for listening to the show uh please follow along with us on twitter at ncr underscore tennis send us emails questions comments tell us how much you miss courtney no challenges remaining at gmail.com we've already gotten plenty of those uh and follow us along on patreon too and we got all sorts of content there courtney has been yes more active on the patreon side of, of the ncr equation during her absence from the regular show patreon.com slash no challenges remaining and thank you to our patreon backers at the slam champ level audrey wellens joseph har susanna w mary carillo liz kennel chuang nguyen jonathan weinbaum and betty and thanks to our goat backer jod uh, no new backers report this week but if you want to be a new backer next time uh, as we get ramped up for whatever kind of cincinnati and u.s open coverage we're going to do it's gonna be interesting podcasting during this u.s open particularly there's some interesting opportunities and yeah we'll see how that goes it'll be interesting it'll be different and we'll hopefully do a lot of stuff for y'all during that time uh but thank you to all your support patreon.com slash no challenges remaining where you find us there so courtney besides the occasional patreon appearances you have been up to all sorts of fun stuff <laughs> culturally and whatnot i uh, video game wise definitely yes and cooking wise or whatever during during this most recent core period i'm curious like what what fo- what you'd want to encourage people to uh to check out or follow your lead on or suggestions or musings or life advice, whatever you have. Sure. Because we do a first rant rave on this show in a while. Happy to do it. The video game that I'm currently, I guess it's not obsessed because it's not like that great of a game, but it is definitely, I just fall into it. Next thing I know, like seven hours have passed <laughs> is this game called two point hospital. It's available on um, PS4, Xbox. I think it might be even available on iPhone uh, switch, uh, maybe a desktop as well, but it's basically like you run a hospital. <laughs> it's like okay. a hospital sim, but it's like, it's cartoony and kind of goofy. Like it has like funny disease names and stuff like that, but base and, but it's, yeah. So it's like sim, it's like sim city, but hospitals and you build like, you know, uh, wards and you hire doctors and you train doctors and nurses and janitors and you have to like make sure the hospital's clean and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, I don't know. I I got I have it free because I have Xbox Game Pass and it's one of the games that's on there. So I just fired it up and played it. And I I had almost bought it for Switch like for the last like probably six months, but it was like 40, 50 bucks. And I just wow. was like, that seems like an absurd amount of money for what looks like a really goofy kind of dumb game. So I'm glad that I am playing it for free. Don't pay for it if you don't have to. But um, but yeah, it's it's been fun. So that's been good. Obviously, everybody knows about my love for The Last of Us, which has mm-hmm. continued. And which I'm you have twitching. a Patreon two-hour episode yes. with, with Tony about it also. A two-hour Patreon uh, episode discussing our love of The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part 2 uh, with our good friend Tony. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's been great. And like because of The Last of Us, I started like I started streaming my video game playing. You're a Twitcher. Twitch. I'm a Twitcher now and it's very sporadic because obviously now I'm back to work um, and will be for, you know, at least for the next uh, few weeks. So no twitching. Uh, but it was 
I have to say, it is like weirdly fun to like stream video games and not just like stream them, but I would watch people play like certain video games as well um, on Twitch. And um, and yeah, so to like the five people that tune into my Twitch streams, which are Steph, Tony, Peter, Ben and Karsten, I think, um, and helped me beat Uncharted 2. Um, much love to you. Uh, it was fun being a- like, hey, go jump on that thing. I think that thing is what like unlocks the switch or whatever. Yeah, it's weirdly fun because like as I'm playing, people are typing in comments. So like I can see the comments as I'm playing. and I'm just like talking and um, responding to them. And it was really fun. And everybody really helped me get through that game, which I didn't really love. But I enjoyed it because of the communal team uh, nature of, of getting through it. So I think I went through and played like a 10 hour session of it <laughs> and pretty much finished the game in one sitting. So after after the US Open and Rome and Roland Garros, depending on everything, um, I'll get back to it. And I'm going to do Uncharted 4, which um, I need to do, I need to play, which is like one the sequel to the game that I just finished. And I'm also the whole reason I started twitching before is because my best friend Steph I got her really into the game despite the just by plot. Like she's never seen it. Sapphic she never played it. Oh yeah. Yeah, and she's never played and she'll never play it. But she's like just as obsessed with it as I am just because of the plot of the story. Mm-hmm. So because of COVID, she couldn't come over, she couldn't watch me play the game. So I was like, "Oh, why don't I just stream it and you can watch me play it?" Because that you know, and so that's how I started doing it. Yeah. So yeah, so that's been really fun. So I'll get back to I'm still trying to she still wants to watch me finish a playthrough of the last of us. So, um, I have about like three fifths of it left to do. So I will resume that once it's all over. I did some twitching too early in quarantine. Yes, you uh, did with tennis elbow and it was fun. Like it was probably, I don't know, never more than, I don't know, 10, 15 people mostly. Um, but just me playing tennis elbow, which is the best tennis video game out there and talking sometimes and people just watching or commentating. It was funny because people like were really genuinely like watching with only comment on like interesting points. It wasn't just like constant chatter. It was like, oh, more like, wow, that was a terrible volley you just missed. And I was like, I know. Thank you for speaking here for the yeah. first time in 30 minutes to tell me how terrible the volley was. But it was. It was the wor- most notable shot in the last 30 minutes because it was really bad miss. Yeah. I mean, my, my streams were like cool and, and enjoyable and maybe it would be enjoyable for other people only because it almost ends up being kind of this like hybrid podcast thing right because like or interactively because people just kind of ask you whatever and it's up to and so like random conversations kind of just start it's not even just about the game it'll just Mm -hmm. be like and you'll see this on if you stream other twitchers like a lot of the really popular ones are ones where they're playing the game but they're just kind of having a conversation with people you know while they're playing the game that's unrelated to the game they're playing, uh, which can get get people into trouble. That's why streamers get in trouble with like they go down to politics, you know, mm-hmm. rabbit holes and things like that. But yeah, anyways, that's it's been fun and it was a very unexpected thing. I didn't think that I would ever become a Twitcher, and yet here I am. I think it's Panda Express, P A N D A X P R S twelve. I think is that my handle. We'll put we'll put a link in, in the description. Yeah, I'm sorry if that's not the handle. That's my that's my handle somewhere. But okay. <laughs> anyways, yeah. Fair enough. Um, oh, and the, the new Heim album. Yes, I'm gonna. I was gonna play it out with some Heim. Don't worry. Yes, Heim, okay. Heim is great. The Heim album is great. I've I was watching a ton of movies and stuff early on. I've, my sort of rant rave will just be for ebooks at libraries, which are a phenomenal resource for at least I think pretty much every library in the U.S. I think has some sort of most of the good ones at least hopefully have ebook resources i have a kindle you get on waiting lists even for like super popular books and someday they show up and you can put your kindle on airplane mode to keep the books longer than their allotted time so i think they still go to other people but you don't give them back if you're a little slow just 
trying to get more into reading books and slowing down. I've been watching less and less TV or screen stuff in this phase of quarantine, but I will also, especially also now that all my screen time is back on sports that are coming back, whether it's tennis or NHL is happening. But the one show that I want to shout out, which I loved watching recently was Barry. Barry was great. Really liked Barry. Bill Hader is wonderful in it. And the whole show is just really great. And the character of Noho Hank particularly is amazing. And I was shocked to find out the actor who plays him is American because I just feel like America. I was like, I was sure he was some British guy or some Australian guy. We just don't get any like good American actors anymore, but this guy is American and I was into it. So good work for Barry. It's on HBO and whatever HBO things you get. Courtney, are you excited for, um, or what are your thoughts on what's happening with the Mulan movie? Yeah, I'm down. I'm down with it. I mean, you know, 30 bucks. Um, I I think my only take on the whole Mulan thing. So if if people don't know the live action Mulan film, which was one of the going to be one of the big tentpole theater movies of this year, especially internationally, uh, is going direct in the States um, to Disney Plus. So for 30 bucks, you can buy it uh, and watch it or rent it. I can't remember what it is. The only weird thing that I'm fine with it. I'm excited. I mean, because I want to see it. The only thing that was weird to me is like kind of seeing the discussion on, on Twitter of like all these people being like, who in the world would pay $30 to watch Mulan? And like, it was like, you know, mom and dad chat entered or entered the chat. Like everybody's like, um, if you have kids, you absolutely are paying 30 bucks to watch this thing. <laughs> like, And like, or if you're staying with other people and you're quarantining or, or you have roommates or whatever, like this is still cheaper than a trip to the theater. Like, Room I don't know why. Yeah. Cause yeah so movie theaters it was are still just, pricey. Yeah. It was just like a weird take. Like people complaining about the price. Like everybody's like, uh, no, that's well, about do you, right. Do you get to, do you get to like own it once you play that? Or is it yeah, just I don't, that's what I'm not I didn't clear on. follow, I didn't follow up to find out. I know that I just saw like Dana Stevens had asked that, like being like, wait, is this to own it or just to rent it? Not that it matters. I'll still pay it. I just am wondering what I'm paying for. <laughs> right. Um, so, so yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I hope it's good. It looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the animated version will always still be the 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 canonical. Well, I say canonical. I mean, it's based off of a myth, so there is no canon really. But but the version that matters the most to me. No, uh, no dragon in this one. I know. I'm sorry, but like, you just have not lived until you've seen my father absolutely not stop laughing at the idea of Eddie Murphy as a Chinese dragon. It's like comedy gold for him. So we don't get that anymore, which is a bummer. Cool. On that note, here is some gold from Haim to play us out. Courtney, lovely to have you back. Hope to have you on a lot more in the near future. As tennis resumes, we're going to be doing a draw show in like a week. So that's going to be a fun. Holy crap. Oof, yeah. I was actually thinking about that. Fun. <laughs> I was thinking about that earlier. Like, I'm going to have to print my own draw. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Haven't done that in a long time. But it's going to be. We might get it faster. <laughs> I feel well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye. I can all the in my house, I'm alone in my